This is Late to the Party, episode 11. Welcome to Late to the Party, episode 11. This is the Geeks Unleashed monthly book club podcast, in addition to our weekly podcast, where we will work through what are considered some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. This month's graphic novel is Batman, The Long Halloween by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. And as usual, I'm Mark. And I'm Jasmine. Uh, We're also joined by our guest host this month, Chris from the Oblivion Bar podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Chris. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I think that if you know I was going to come here onto the Geeks Unleashed, this is a great reason to come here, talk okay. about one of the most iconic Batman stories of all time, one that you know any essential Batman fan should have already read by now. But if you and if you haven't, make sure you uh, tread lightly as we go through uh, this next episode. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, obviously late to the party. That's why we uh, named it so because yeah. I definitely was like spoilers are a given and also we have not read it uh this this is my first time through and I really loved it honestly a spoiler mm-hmm. um before we go any further Chris so do you want to tell us a little bit about the Oblivion Bar podcast and uh so people know uh, where you're where you from absolutely yeah so uh my co-host Aaron Knowles who's actually been on Geeks Unleashed before or at least you guys have teamed up before I think with Jasmine you guys talked about uh, Mass Effect, what was it yeah Mass Effect that's right yeah over on the Good Games podcast is that correct mm-hmm that's Good game, right. guys. Yeah. Good game, guys. Excuse me. Yes. And you guys basically have already teamed up. So you've already met one half of our, our little uh, team over here at the Oblivion Bar. But basically, the Oblivion Bar each week is a weekend review of all things nerd. So we talk about movies, television, video games, comic books, all the breaking news that week. We usually have a main topic, and that you know goes from movie reviews, top 10 lists. Uh, this week, we did what was called a battle royale, where both Aaron and I picked five fighters each and we put them up against each other and we had to debate on who we thought would win. So that's really fun. Uh, we do creator interviews. We do uh, series reviews for television. Uh, the possibilities are endless. We do comic spotlights, very similar to like kind of what we're doing here tonight. We'll take a comic or a comic character and kind of give you a definitive analysis on that character or storyline and kind of talk about why we love it. So it's really fun. The Oblivion Bar, we've been doing it for uh, a little over a year and a half now. We started in April of 2020, right there at the beginning of COVID. And Aaron and I, we were in the military together here. Um, but, well, we were stationed at Fort Stewart in Savannah, Georgia. And we kind of always had that relationship where we would always just talk about whatever was happening in the world of nerd, nerd culture, you know, the Oblivion Bar, a nerd culture. So, you know, it's basically uh, we've personified something that our friendship has already has always kind of been surrounded by. So we have a lot of fun. We have a great community over on Twitter, social media in general. You guys, of course, being part of that. And uh, I'm really excited to be here. Excited to talk about the long Halloween and I'm ready to get into it. Awesome, awesome. awesome. Thanks for that summary there. Like, mm-hmm. uh, appreciate again, appreciate you jumping on. And um, yeah, that Jasmine, uh, that team up with Aaron and uh, the good game guys. I, I remember that. Like, I I basically signed Jasmine up for that. I was like, yeah, Jasmine, I've been messaging the good guy games <laughs> podcast, and uh, I signed you up to do a Mass Effect review with them. She's like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but let's jump into the, the long Halloween. All right, so this one, of course, from DC Comics, written by Jeff Loeb, pencils, Tim Sale, colors, Gregory Wright. Originally, it was a 13-issue limited run from 96 to 97. Uh, Due to the success, there were a couple of sequels or a couple of more team-ups right after this first run was finished. Uh, Batman, Dark Victory, and Catwoman, Win in Rome. Um, Either of you read either of those? 
I, I've not read those yet, but I now that I have read The Long Halloween, I would like to read <laughs> They're on the too. list? Yeah. It's a yes, I've, like I, I, I've definitely read both of those. I, the Dark Victory has been, it's been a long time. The Long Halloween is something I go back to at least once a year. It's something I, I have to, uh, at least it's a very similar to why we're doing this episode today because Halloween is kind of coming up. When you get into that spooky season, or as Aaron likes to call it, the spoopy season, you gotta <laughs> you gotta set the mood. And this comic, more so than many other Batman comics, I feel like sets the tone for Gotham and like the holiday season. Again, again, depending on what part of the story you're reading here. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Catman Winter Rome. I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think I've read that. That is the Darwin Cook uh, story by Catwoman. And if that's true, I have read that one. Let me quickly look that up while while we're talking here. But yes. Uh, if it is a story I'm thinking of, it's probably one of the more iconic uh, Catwoman, Catwoman stories of all time. So uh, I'll let you guys go ahead and take it away, and then I'll kind of interject whenever I figure out if this is the correct story that I'm thinking of. <laughs> uh, no worries. Okay, so just a bit of a summary of the story. Uh, the Long Halloween is set. Uh, well, it's a story set in the early days of Batman's career. Uh, Batman teams up with District Attorney Harvey Dent and Captain James Gordon to take down a new serial killer, Holiday, who kills someone on each holiday, starting with Halloween, and then you spend the next 13 issues, which follows a variety of holidays, including things like Mother's Day and um, uh, April Fool's, which yeah. we go through, uh, whilst also trying to stop a crime war between two of Gotham City's most powerful families, Maroni and Falcone. Uh, they're also the normal Batman rogues in the background, like you would expect. Uh, they cannot stay away. People like our... Uh, uh, Poison Ivy and the Joker. Uh, so, yeah, that, that kind of is a summary of those 13 issues, but obviously we'll break it down. Um, there's a few other people that pop up. What people like I'm not as familiar with, but like Calendar Man, for instance, who I have to say has probably got one of the best villain names ever. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, um, so just in terms of our reading experience, obviously, I think um, Chris. It's far more experienced in terms of the long Halloween uh, than both myself and Jasmine. But so just I'll, I'll, I'll go first. I literally just read that, read this for this um, episode. I've never read it before. And again, like, as we say, related to the party is an opportunity for us to go back and grab things that we should have read. Uh, naughty fanboys and girls that we are have not read every essential thing out there. So I, I really loved the opportunity to go back actually and, and grab this. And I read it in uh, trade paperback format. So I was pretty pleased with myself. I actually did manage to get a, I rarely ever do this, but I got it from a secondhand, like a charity shop. Like I think you guys call them thrift stores. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was pretty pleased with this. I got this for like six pounds and I, very rarely ever do I buy secondhand comics or graphic novels, but I was like, you know what, for six pounds, why not? Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm glad I sort of grabbed it with the graphic novel. What about um, Chris? I know you've got a very nice edition. What have you got? So the long Halloween's come in many forms. As you have there, you have the paperback, the trade paperback. There's a hardcover yeah. edition, and there's like hundreds of different editions of the hardcover. There's yeah. an absolute edition, which is what I have here. This is like I don't, I don't know if you want to call it the definitive version of the story, but it's just a larger, more, uh, you know, all encompassing backstory, a lot of interviews with like Chris Nolan and David Goyer and Jeff Loeb and Tim sale. And it's a, it honestly, it's one of my favorite Batman, uh, collectibles that I have. I have this one, the dark victory and the haunted night all by Jeff Loeb and Tim sale, uh, all the absolutes. And it's honestly incredible. If you love 
these stories, if you love this series by Loeb and uh, Sale, the absolutes are a definite worthy investment. I think they're, they're, they sit around close to $100, I think, per, but I think honestly, it's worth it if you, again, if you love these stories. So um, yeah, and I, and to kind of speak on my experience with this story, I remember reading this for the first time, probably in my, I want to say early 20s, I got to it late as well. Because this story came out in 96, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the first issue started in 96. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was five when the story first (laughs) came out. And uh, of course, I wasn't quick. I wasn't reading comics quite like I am today, but I came back to it. I was kind of going, I was binging all the Batman comics that I could. And I remember at one point when I first read this, this was my favorite Batman story of all time. And I think that there's something to be said about that, especially as a kind of newish reader at the time when I was kind of getting into comics the way I am now, you know, I've always loved superheroes, but it wasn't until my early twenties that I really started to get into them the way that I am now. This is maybe one of the more digestible, uh, easily recommendable Batman stories in the history of the character. I think you get a lot of everything. You get a lot, you get a great analysis of the character of Batman. You get a great view of his rogues gallery and how they kind of came to be, especially two face and uh, like Catwoman, And I think that, you know, Mad Hatter has a little bit in here. Uh, let's see here, like at the end, especially whenever they eventually all kind of team up and kind of graduate to who they are in, you know, today's DC universe. Mm-hmm. I think that really honestly shows you how amazing Batman's rogues gallery is. And that's part of the reason why he's so popular is because he has, uh, you know, it's either him or Spider-Man is probably the two greatest rogues gallery in the history of comics. Um, and, and again, to kind of go back to what I was saying, the, the digestibility of the story is like second to none. I would say it's between this and ironically enough, year one, which Sorry, I don't want to, you know, try to bury the lead a little bit, but this is kind of almost like a continuation of Year One by Frank Miller and David Mazzuchelli. And yeah, that's why I read. That's why I read that as well. Mm-hmm. I haven't read Year One, but I read that this is kind of feels like a natural progression of Year One. Absolutely, yeah. This is definitely it plays in that same sandbox. It's this story more so than Year One. Year One is more so a story about how Batman came to be, a much more green, like mistake-driven person who just wants to avenge his city and in this story the city of gotham is almost a character within itself mm-hmm. so that's the reason why i love the long halloween obviously you have the you know the mechanic of the holiday killer and which we'll get into eventually who that might be but i think more so than uh, more so than any other story the the kind of like centralization of the falcones and the moronis are definitely one of the more interesting uh you know, ideas in the story and how they are essentially the reason why, because the, the rogues gallery of Batman are not a real thing until the end of the storyline. Mm-hmm. It is strictly Batman going after the crime families of, of Gotham. And then they're them becoming desperate and them investing in these people who they don't necessarily understand yeah. and creating monsters that way. Yeah. Mm. I well, love you how you said that Gotham is like its own character. I think of all of sort of the DC, well, not necessarily just DC, but it's, it's rare to have a city backdrop be so unique in the way that it's always described, no matter who's writing for Batman. Uh, the way that all of the heroes, the villains, the everyday folks, the way that they all talk about Gotham City, um, it, it just makes it feel like the city itself is breathing or the city itself is the one that's responsible for bringing forth all of these things. Um, and I, I do think that's pretty unique. Um, so I, I read this digital um, and it was really funny. So I, I bought the digital trade and the week after I bought it, 
Comixology added it to their unlimited selection because of, of the upcoming, did. yeah, because of the upcoming release of the new follow-up, which we'll talk about later. Um, so if anyone is listening to this and you have not had a chance to read Batman The Long Halloween just yet, if you have a Comixology Unlimited subscription, it is included. So I suggest you take advantage and give this a, a Passover because it was really fun. And I think coming into this series so late, it felt incredibly familiar because we've seen this story play out in the films. I mean, most notably in the Nolan series, a lot of this stuff feels like Nolan kind of pulled his inspiration from this particular Batman story, Um, especially with the way that uh, we kind of see the making of Harvey Dent. So I just... I enjoyed it. I mean, it was digital, but still, it was one of those things where once I sat down to read it, I kept saying to myself, oh, okay, I'm just going to read what just, um, just to the next holiday, like just, just one more issue. And no, I, I read all 13 at, at one time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, it's funny you say that about um, the inclusion there in the, in the Nolan series, which, yeah, you know, the influences are there, like mm-hmm. very apparent, especially there in Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Oh, yeah. And in the absolute edition here, the, the version that I have, I'd actually, there's a, there's like a quick interview between, I said earlier, uh, Chris, Christopher Nolan and David Goyer, who mm-hmm. wrote the Dark Knight trilogy. And uh, I think it's David Goyer says here, it says, for me, there are three major comic book influences uh, within the Batman lore. There's year one, which we talked about, of course. Mm-hmm. There is the Neil Adams, uh, Dennis O'Neill run from the 70s. And this is kind of the series, if you guys aren't familiar, that kind of brought Batman in, in a similar darker light that we eventually get to with the Frank Miller uh, era, the early to mid eighties. Mm-hmm. So as we know, the sixties were this bam, pow, funny kind of self-aware Batman. The seventies was the, you know, reintroduction of the Joker, a more serious Batman, someone that is, you know, someone you take, uh, you definitely take more seriously. And then the eighties was the natural progression where Frank Miller takes it to the edge and became, you know, made him into, you know, the dark Knight from the dark Knight returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's very influential. If you guys have never read the Neil Adams, Dennis O'Neill stuff, they have it in collected forms. It's well worth the read. Uh, it's it's a hokey, it's a little hokey. It's not as you know dark as the Batman we know today. It's almost like he just keeps getting more dark and more serious. Yeah. I mean, the the inclusion of the Batman trailer we just got this last weekend at DC Fandom mm-hmm. is uh, th- this feels like the triumph. Like this is the final straw of the darkest <laughs> Batman we're ever going to get. And then at some point, the shoe is going to drop and we're going to go right back to 1966 silly Batman. Like, I honestly think we're going to see that. We're going to see that again in modern culture before we all pass away. Like Batman. I mean, doesn't the, don't the Joel Schumacher films count as that? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. But the thing is, I think people hated those movies back in the day because it wasn't what we were getting from Batman 89, Batman forever, all, you know, all of that stuff. Um, And then it says here to continue on with what Goyer said, he, he has the Neil Adams stuff. And then there's the long Halloween. But by the time the Dark Knight comes out, it will become apparent. So this is before the Dark Knight come, had came out. Mm-hmm. So this is before 2008. That the Long Halloween is the uh, prior. What are the, how did they say this? It's basically like it's the main influence. And I think again, like you had said there, Jasmine, it is very, uh, very apparent throughout yeah. the entire story, especially with the story of Harvey Dent. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that that's definitely what they were going for. I was, you know, you guys both touched on earlier about the character of Gotham. I think they they sort of constantly 
throughout this book as well, like mentioned about being unable to leave Gotham and um, like, you know, they talk about it between uh, Gordon, his wife, and even Harvey Dent and his wife, they talk, constantly talk about Gotham itself and, and like, it's kind of all in, all in, you know, it kind of captures everything, you know, you kind of almost can't leave it once you're in it. And, mm-hmm. um, and I love throughout the book as well, like just how they just all the different scenes and things. And I, I remember actually Jasmine, me and you talking about, um, I don't know if you've seen it, Chris, Batwoman season. Uh, well, I've only watched season one of Batwoman. Um, but one of the things I actually did say was I never really felt like they showed enough enough of Gotham because Gotham in itself is a character. It's like, it's one of the most famous fictional cities, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's why I always love about Gotham is when they show different parts of it because we know that it's made up of rich families and poor families and, you know, and even they've got things like the slums and stuff like that. I just, I love it when they kind of do show different aspects of Gotham City. So, um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to agree with what you were saying there, Chris. And, you know, so, I think it's funny because the uh, Chris had mentioned Spider-Man as another character with this, but Spider-Man is set in a real city. Um, And I think that that is the reason that Spider-Man is is so relatable because it's like this is one of the most famous cities in the world that we're talking about here in the comics. So Mm -hmm. um, for for people, for all of the years that Batman has been around for for a fictitious city to come up and be neck and neck with New York City, I think that's quite impressive because like you look at stuff like Central City or Metropolis and it's like, man, I mean, that could be anywhere. That could be Mm -hmm. any city in, in any country like it. There's nothing really discerning about those cities and those places. Yeah, Gotham essentially, I mean, for if you want to kind of look at it in lamest terms, is essentially a mixture of Chicago and New York. Mm-hmm. You know, the worst parts of both. Yeah. It, you know, the the size of New York, but maybe the the maybe more so the crime of Chicago mm-hmm. here in America. So um, I wanted to quickly say, I know we talked about it earlier, I, and I, I got this wrong. Cat, Catwoman went in Rome was actually it was Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. So it was a, another story by those two. And I, I wanted to just kind of quickly point out because I looked it up and I and it wasn't the Darwin Cook Batman or excuse me Darwin Cook Catwoman story that I was thinking of, which is uh, essentially it was just it was called the Trial of Catwoman. So mm. um, if you haven't read that Catwoman story, highly recommend. I'm sure we'll be seeing much more Catwoman again because of the Batman storyline or the Batman movie that we're going to be getting. You know, DC always likes to coincide their releases with the movie releases, so re-release stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely seek that out. But uh, there was one other thing I want to quickly talk about, unless you guys have something. Uh, well, I guess we, if you want to quickly, I'm looking here at our like transcript here, and I think that it'd be important to kind of go over the characters. And then there's some, there's one character that I really wanted to highlight that I think, uh, or I guess it's kind of like a one one a uh, char- two characters that really kind of show out for me in the storyline. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, we I mean, can jump right into characters. So uh, the two characters that I really wanted to highlight was. James Gordon for one is, mm-hmm. and this is more so uh, a, how do you say this? But basically the way I view him in the storyline is like a graduation because mm-hmm. um, who he was before the long Halloween. And actually it's funny because I, after reading this, again, I've been reading this every year for 10 plus years now. And Chris Nolan even comments on, this is actually the second time I ever opened up this absolute. And I think I just went right to the story. I didn't read any of the back matter, but Chris Nolan even uh, he even comments on the fact that James Gordon is this very much like exposition dump, kind of like dumpy character in Gotham before the long Halloween. And then Jeff Loeb kind of created the character that we know today, you know, this very much like um, sturdy kind of like, I kind of, I like view James Gordon as like this Oak tree in Gotham where like, <laughs> he's a little, like, he's a, like, 
he looks like a little worn down and he looks old, but if you ran into him at full speed, you still couldn't knock him over. You know, he, he just is this like brooding kind of like the, the partnership between him and Batman mm-hmm. what's created here by Jeff Loeb and Tim sale in the dark, or excuse me, the long Halloween is something that was taken and continued to be used for the comics going forward. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's extremely important. I don't think that's something that we should ever look overlook because Anytime that that happens in comics, it's because it's an iconic betrayal. And uh, again, James Gordon, one of the more important characters in Gotham, one of the most important uh, allies to Batman uh, in the Batman universe. Uh, And I mean, these guys essentially created that. And and for a comic that came out in 1996, this character was created back in the 60s or 40s. Excuse me. Yeah, James Gordon is all the way back in the 40s. It's, It's just incredible. I think that's something that needs to be highlighted. And then and we'll definitely get into this at some point, but Harvey Dent, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe the definitive origin story for one of Batman's greatest Rose gallery, you know, characters. Um, again, we see it in the dark Knight, And I think that before that two face was very much this kind of like slapstick character that. Yeah. Thanks Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, Tommy Lee Jones basically was just the Joker in a, in a but, black and white suit and said yeah yeah I'm, i don't think he did a lot of research going into <laughs> going into that film and to have both him and jim carrey in that film was so funny apparently sorry this is like a a, a quick tangent but apparently jim carrey and tommy lee jones did not get along Go the figure. Set, and they hate i imagine other. tommy lee jones doesn't get along with a lot of people that'd be my yeah. guess uh, apparently uh, jim lee like approached him one night at, at like dinner after after recording one day and Tommy Lee Jones says, if you don't leave this effing restaurant, you're, I'm going to kick your ass essentially. So, <laughs> but that, you know, again, Tommy Lee Jones is not going to go down. His betrayal of Two-Face is not going to go down as part of his, uh, you know, his career highlights, if you will. Nope. But, uh, but this definitive, I, it's so funny that we're talking about this because I'm seriously, I'm, I'm flipping through the story as we're talking and I'm looking at, and, and this is just for, for my absolute page 347. It's the full page pinup by Tim sale, where you first see two face. He, he's flipping the coin. He's got the gun in one hand. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just, this is iconic, you know? And uh, I, I, I think Jasmine, you had said something earlier about the art, Tim sales art in this. I think without Tim sales art, the story is not iconic. Like the story is amazing, but there are plenty of really amazing storylines. This Tim sales art and the way that he, the way he draws everyone and uh, the amount of um, what would you call that? Sorry, I'm losing my words tonight. I don't really have, I don't have my, I don't have the correct vocabulary in my head tonight, apparently. <laughs> but um, he just, the atmosphere in the story is the reason why the long Halloween is so you know iconic. Yeah. I think it like the first page it opens up on the on VD's wedding. And when I first read that page, I was like, so we got high society weddings and that's what this book is going to be about. And I was like, mm, well, so far I'm underwhelmed. And I was like, okay, well, relax. It's the first two pages. Like, right. um, but I felt like the first two pages don't do this book any justice whatsoever. Like when we get into um you the listeners, you can't see it, but my, my background is my favorite panel from mm-hmm. this whole book is when we literally get all of the, all of the, the villains in one room. Um, and it's, it's just so fantastic. Like once we get into the villains in the book, I, I always say like, you can't have any good story. It doesn't have to be superheroes, but you cannot have a good story if you have a poor villain and mm. the villains really show up and show out in the long Halloween. 
Yeah. Is there any, Jasmine, is there any sort of characters that you want to discuss that you read and sort of highlighted that stood out to you throughout this book? Um, honestly, I'd, I'd go with uh, Gordon as well. I think for me, though, this book, as I was reading it, I was in the mindset of Batman the Animated Series. And to me, the Gordon in the book felt very similar to the Gordon from the cartoon. Um, but for the same reasons that, that Chris mentioned, it's like, he is the kind of guy that like toes the line, but he's always going to lean to the good side. Like he may suggest some things and he may leave things open to interpretation, but he doesn't ever completely cross over that line. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think in a city like Gotham, that's exactly what it takes to get any modicum of anything done. Um, so I just... I, I really liked his character throughout this whole thing. And honestly, I really liked Catwoman. I liked, oh, yeah. well, we did, they, there were the, the DVD um, or the Blu-ray that came out recently for the long Halloween. Um, now I, I loved the Catwoman in the story far, far better than the Catwoman that we got in the film. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I love Catwoman in this book. I think yeah. to address the artwork first, I love the costume that Tim sales put. Catwoman yeah. In. I love so that she it's... has an eight pack. <laughs> Catwoman <laughs> yeah. um, is shredded in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah. could bench press all of the other villains easy. Yeah, I, I, I love that it's purple. It's very you know like yeah. sort of her original colorings, and but I love that her face mask is very much more like a, an actual cat lie, and uh, it's just very stylistic. And um, mm-hmm. but no, I love. But I love. I've always loved the interaction, and I think a lot of fans do a lot of love the interaction between Catwoman and Batman, and and just seeing um, their relationship as obviously Bruce Wayne and and Selina Kyle, but also as Catwoman and Batman. And I love that she saves him when Poison Ivy sort of brainwashes him mm-hmm. for a bit. Um, so I just I I love watching. I sorry, I loved reading that throughout this book. That was probably she was already one of the most characters I. Um, enjoyed reading but actually i know he didn't get much um page time in this book but i loved calendar man i don't yes. know that much of it. i literally <laughs> never read i from memory i've never read anything with calendar man in um or maybe i have but i can't remember um but i was like this guy is just so creepy like you yeah. could probably do so much more with calendar man uh it kind of gave me that whole silence of the lambs thing like yes. you know where where they obviously but he doesn't you know, seem like he eats people no, he, I don't yeah. think he eats people, but <laughs> but um, but you know, I can, like the Jodie Foster type going to him where yeah. Bruce Wayne was going, oh, sorry, Batman and J- uh, Jim Gordon to go to him for advice on trying to track down Holiday, who obviously kills people on holidays, and Calvin Man obviously is going to be the best person to know about holidays. And um, but I love the fact that there's he's kind of teasing them and playing with them. Uh, so yeah, he knows although, the whole time. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He knew the whole time, but he just wouldn't tell them. But he he, he loved drip feeding them with information throughout the book. And I was like, this guy is pretty damn cool. You could give him a whole serial killer sort of thing himself. Just, you know. Um, he was my favorite character in the film, but I think that really I got to chalk that up to David Dusmolton uh, for <laughs> voicing uh, Julian Day. That, he was so good in, in the film. He really was my favorite. <laughs> well, this story, The Long Halloween, is, is actually you know back in the day this is a reintroduction to the character that like oh, okay. the, the calendar man was very much a one-off silly batman villain mm-hmm. and then you know the inclusion by by jeff Loeb and tim sale th- this really like kind of brought calendar man into the modern day and, and again also giving uh two-face his normal origin story so again this this 
I feel like those those two things cannot be overlooked based on the fact that Calendar Man, kind of a silly idea, but when you use him correctly, I think this, again, shows the true testament to Jeff Loeb and, and his storytelling ability. Uh, I know that he often gets a lot of flack for doing a lot of bad things over in the Marvel Ultimate Universe. If you guys are familiar with that. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, he, he wrote Ultimatum, which is like absolute bullcrap uh i don't know what he was thinking and also he gets he gets a lot of flack for he was at one point the head of marvel television like back they first when they first created like marvel's daredevil over at netflix and all the other films um he got a lot of flack for that because i think outside of daredevil and jessica jones people weren't a fan of a lot of the other uh things they were doing over there so um yeah i mean just like a lot of creators who've been around for a long time, you're going to create some good stuff and some bad stuff. And mm. I think this is, I think in, in the end, we're going to, we're going to remember to, we're going to remember Jeff Loeb, excuse me, for things like the long Halloween, Superman, all four seasons. Um, trying to think what else off the top of my head that he's done. That's amazing. But, uh, but those things specifically will, will kind of resonate with everyone. I think um, to self flip things around a little bit here, actually, as you start to, lean into the writing actually of Jeff will we'll go sort of jump into the the script and the writing but Jeff Loeb yeah I know I know Jeff Loeb he he's a man that's kind of up and down in terms of what people like and don't like you know he he kind of he has like his massive success and then he has a massive bomb by um so like, yeah I remember reading his I remember reading I'm pretty sure it's his Batman Superman run gotta say it was like early 2000s or something mm-hmm. like that yeah like, i think it was like, ed mcginnis yeah that was it yeah yep. um i i love that like I me too it was brilliant when when he reintroduced supergirl and i love that whole thing um i can remember actually buying those issues off of uh, a guy it was i just didn't even know this happened but it's new york isn't it like i was in new york <laughs> uh, and there's this guy like with a bloody table on in times square on the on the pavement with a couple of short boxes and long boxes and just selling random comics and i just went up to him and i said i i strangely enough i bought a list because i knew there's comic shops in new york i bought a list of things i needed and wanted i said any chance i said you got like, the first five or six issues of batman superman and he went yeah yeah i've got them all just pulled them straight out it's like no way wow like, so like, that's amazing and, and, uh, so i've never forgotten that but anyway uh so jeff Loeb, he is someone like you just said I, I i never read ultimatum but i remember reading about how he just came into the ultimate universe and just basically took wrecked. a stump on it yeah. <laughs> just wrecked shot you know. just killed everybody yeah. Yeah, well, he just decided, like, let's just kill it off, <laughs> basically. Which but, I think was kind of the idea with Ultimatum. They wanted to kind of do a ref- the Ultimate Universe. They slowly took their time to introduce a lot of like iconic characters. So they they did have to kind of make way for new characters, some iconic characters. But the way that he went about it by killing some of these characters was just almost like it felt kind of very heartless. Like almost like he didn't have any love for any of these characters that he was getting rid of. Um, I, but to kind of quickly talk about his color series I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with these storylines i'm sure yeah, you I are. so I, I've, I've read spider-man blue um i've yeah, read hulk, daredevil hulk, yellow hulk gray and, and the hulk gray and the hulk gray mm-hmm. yeah i've read those three i haven't read captain america white is it called is it captain yes america? yep yeah i've not read that one but i've read the other i read the other three color series which he did with tim so so yes, uh, absolutely and i think spider-man blue more so than any of them I, daredevil yellow is a, maybe a close second but spider-man blue the best of that series, one of the most iconic Spider-Man stories of all time, one of my favorite love letters to any comic book character, I think, uh, and I, I don't think people are aware of this, but Tim Sale is actually colorblind, which is the reason why they created those series, 
they made it all oh, no, one I color. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's actually a really cool omnibus that collects all of them. I think, I think actually Spider-Man blue at the time of this recording uh, is actually out of print. And the only way you can get it is through the omnibus. So, but if you can okay. seek out Spider-Man blue somehow through the trade or any of these, again, daredevil yellow, even Hulk gray is really good. It's been a long time since I read captain America white, but from what I remember, it was a lot of fun. Uh, obviously this team, they're really good at what they do. Uh, and again, like I said earlier, Superman, all four seasons, all, all of those are definitely worth reading along with. If you enjoyed these Batman books that they've done together, once again, The Long Halloween, Haunted Night, and Dark Victory. Well, what did you think about, though, obviously, The Long Halloween itself in terms of writing and structure? Obviously, it's split into three, uh, third, sorry, 13 issues. So it had to be broken up into, obviously, the story got broken up so it could be read monthly and then collected. To, you know, do you think for yourself that, you know, if you break it down in 13 chapters, is that something you kind of obviously uh, found it easy to read and get into? Oh, absolutely. I think this is their most iconic of all of these books that we're talking about. This is, again, we kind of talk, talked about it a little bit in the beginning, but of all the Batman stories, this is a top three most iconic. I'd say it's like Batman year one. If, if, if someone came up to me and said, so I've heard of this Batman character. I don't know who he is or what he's about. I yeah. want to get I want to get into Batman. What would you recommend that I read? I would say, OK, Batman year one. Number one, you have to read that. The Long Halloween be number two. And then. There were a couple other ones that kind of float in my mind after that. I would maybe recommend like Batman Court of Owls. A lot of people would mm. say The Dark Knight Returns, but The Dark Knight Returns, I feel like you kind of have to graduate to. You, you kind of have to be familiar with Batman and the character to like fully appreciate The Dark Knight Returns with Frank Miller because there's a lot of subtext in that. It talks about almost like holding a mirror up to the character, holding the mirror up to comics as a, as a medium. And I think that if you read it on the surface, you'll still understand it and enjoy it. But like, if you read a lot of Batman and you're familiar with the character and then you read the dark Knight returns, it'll mean so much more to you. So it wouldn't be something that I would recommend immediately. So, uh, and then uh, I'm trying to think what else would be a really good Batman story uh, that I would recommend initially. Um, uh, now I hate, I see now I'm on the spot and here's the thing. The funny thing about my collection of comics is that I, I have everything separated from publisher. So I've got, uh, Marvel, small press, and then DC takes up an entire book bookshelf by itself. <laughs> the whole first shelf is all Batman. Everything is Batman in that top shelf. And now, of course, while we're sitting here talking about it, I'm forgetting almost every iconic Batman run that I that I can think of. But, um, but definitely those, I think those three or four are, are worth checking out. The Long Halloween, you could honestly, The Long Halloween or, the, or Year One, those are very interchangeable as far as your first endeavor in Batman if you want to learn more about the character. What about, what about you, Jasmine? How did you did you enjoy reading it in this format? I did. Um, I love that we got basically a holiday in issue. Um, yeah, I thought that's cool. Yeah, so that that just made the it made it easy to follow because it went in you know obviously in order of the holidays. So uh, I I really enjoyed it. And Mad Hatter, I would say, is probably one of the characters that I don't ever see get too much screen time. Um, again, I don't, I don't read too much Batman, but like, so it was cool to see, like I've, as a kid, I loved Solomon Grundy, even though he does not do very much. Like, so I was super excited when, uh, when we got, rhymes. yeah, I, well, I love that. <laughs> like, so I was super excited when we got Solomon Grundy in the, in the sewers. And I was like, oh man. And I think like, at that point I kept thinking like, oh, who else is going to pop up? So once I got into this book um and again reading it collected honestly 
it's, it's like my favorite way to read everything just because you don't have to wait, but the anticipation is still there. Like I get to the end of that one issue and then I'm like, oh man, what happens next? And so like every time I started a new holiday, I was like, who's going to be there this time? Ooh, if we already got Solomon Grundy in the, are, are they going to have Killer Croc too? Is he going to pop up in Rogue's Gallery? So like, I just started wondering who else would show up. So as I kept reading, that was kind of the game that I played with myself. That and uh, who holiday was. So with each issue, I was like, oh, I, it's, it's totally not this person is this person. I'm 100% sure. And then I get to the end of the book and I was so very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't really, I think, I don't know if this is necessarily a fault to the story, but I think them alluding to who the actual killer is, Mm -hmm. is very subtle. Like they don't really paint, they don't paint that picture for you outright. You know, like I think, Uh I think, I I don't know if if you want to wait to this, but I had a, I had a thought on who it was initially. Oh yeah. We got, we got a whole section on, on who, who done it. Who who done did it. (laughs) Yeah. Who who done it. (laughs) Uh, I was going to say in terms of like, I I think about this when I'm reading like for the book club, I'm like, uh, I was having this conversation yesterday about like reading and I know it sounds weird to say like, sometimes when you're reading something not everything is necessarily relaxing like because obviously I, I when I look at me reading comics I do it because I want to relax if you know what I mean by that like you know I'm not watching tv I'm not on my phone I'm sitting there and I'm getting involved and, and that's what reading is isn't it you know you get drawn into that world and not you know if it's just a text um like a novel uh you have to create those images in your head which uh actually me and Desmond know uh from actually we interviewed someone recently and um, there's actually a, um what's it called um it's called aphantasia it is yeah. the uh disorder where you cannot voluntarily create images in your head yeah, well, I didn't know that was a thing until recently. Mm-hmm. We interviewed a guy who's the owner of Ace Comics in the UK, and that's something that he has, and that's actually how he got into comics. Um, so that's one of the beautiful... I, I don't have that, but that's one of the things I like when I'm reading comics is uh, the visuals are along with the text, but there's obviously certain graphic novels out there where the text is just so overwhelming. Um, but when I sat down to read this, I was like, actually, I'm enjoying the text and I'm enjoying the art. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, and I thought for once, I'm reading a set a central graphic novel which isn't so overbearing because there's so many of yeah. these you know in speech well a lot of the stuff that we've done has been non-fiction too so yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of hard to sit down and enjoy reading about the holocaust yeah. so well yeah well <laughs> like yeah but no but even things like beef and Dead, which is so talked about like it was just such a hard book to read yeah, that was but heavy. anyway what i loved about this book though was just you know the the banter you know like you know the, the seriousness and everything and getting to know the characters and how you f- filtered um between each character within the batman sort of universe but I, I actually just highlighted i mean it's only literally two sentences i'm just like when batman is fighting the joker uh on the plane and the joker's mad that he doesn't know who holiday is and he's like um i it's like you don't know who holiday is i don't know who holiday is but the odds are they might be in that crowd tonight so he's basically gonna crash his plane into this crowd with the hope that he's going to kill the killer and then batman goes you're insane and he's like joe goes has it really taken you this long to notice <laughs> honestly i actually burst out laughing I, and um <laughs> and it doesn't take it you know it takes a lot for me to actually read a comic book and, and burst out laughing and i but and there was actually several moments like that in this book where i was mm-hmm. like cracking up out loud uh, and, uh, and i thought this is what i like about this particular book it's it's a crime who done it like it's a gangster book and mm-hmm. and Jeff Loeb actually juggles so many characters and juggles them well. Now, I would say there's some characters I probably didn't 
get to know as well as I probably would have liked. Um, like I'll be honest with you, like we're going to talk about it in a minute, but Alberto, for instance, as a character, I didn't feel I particularly got to know. Yeah. But for for the fact in the way he was used, I didn't really care about him as much as probably I should have done. Um, but I think that Jeff Loeb did do a really good job of car- car- carrying so many characters and making not all of them, but a good chunk of them jump out the page and me getting the ability to get to know them. So, yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, I enjoyed I, I actually did enjoy reading this as well as the art. So, yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting is that I think there's an argument to be made that, and I agree with you, you don't really get to know Alberta that well in the storyline, which kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the subtlety of like, who, who could this be? Mm. And I think, again, there's an argument to be made that Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb purposefully kind of buried the lead to who the holiday killer is. I think the holiday killer is not the important part here. Mm-hmm. I think everything that happens because of the holiday killer is the reason why the long Halloween is so special. Like mm-hmm. we get the creation of a lot of Batman's rogues gallery. We get the relationship between uh, commissioner Gordon Harvey Dent and Batman there in the beginning and how that kind of like translates throughout the entire storyline. You get the, again, the origin of Harvey Dent and how, again, one of the more iconic villain uh, origin stories of all time. So all of that is a direct result to the holiday murders, but who the actual murders and also, sorry, go to go back as well. The, the control that the Falcones and the Moronis had over the city of Gotham as well. Mm -hmm. All of those things are important to analyze in the holiday murders but when we find out who the actual killer is or who who they could be potentially wink wink um <laughs> you know at that point it doesn't really matter you know it's it's more so like uh it's not about the destination it's the journey kind of thing yeah. that whole that whole you know saying and i think that's like a good way of an of analyzing because i agree with you completely about once we figure out who it is it's like oh well you know that's kind of kind of underwhelming a little bit in a certain aspect um anyway we should talk about tim sale because this book would not be the book it is without out tim sale so tim sale actually like you just said well you said it chris earlier he's just so well known for a lot of his collaborations with jeff Loeb. um his color series um it is obviously one of the the main things that i i i've read most of work that they did together other than captain america um superman for all seasons obviously is well known for here uh but i I didn't know, obviously you said this about the colorblind thing. I know he didn't do the colors, but um, I find that I would love to know what his process is though, in terms of approaching these characters. Cause even if as an illustrator, you must sometimes be thinking about the overall picture, like, but obviously he won't be able to do that. Cause he's obviously just doing the outlines only. And even when he does look at it inked, he's never going to know what it looks like. So mm-hmm. um I just thought sort of that that's quite interesting to hear that. Um, no, I, I actually genuinely love the style that Tim Sale has. And I can imagine that as an illustrator and a writer, Jeff and Tim have probably brought together a really interesting dynamic. And you see this a lot, though, where people like work together. Um, you see inkers uh, and illustrators and writers. You see sometimes there's a lot of collaborations where people do stick together quite a lot. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I really did enjoy the actual art itself. And it's just, it kind of does feel like early days Batman. And like I said earlier about Catwoman's costume and things like that. So I think there's been a lot of thought into making it look so early days like even like batman's costume just his weird 
sort of pointy nose and so it kind of just feels like we're sort of really in the early days um so i just and i just love a lot of the features of um the facial expressions as well as you know the detail that tim does put into a lot of the background work as well mm-hmm. um what about you chris what are your thoughts on the artwork so dc but i mean both publishers get this quite a bit they both yeah. uh, you know fans they get mad at both marvel and dc for what they call the house style you know which is essentially yeah. jim lee i mean people people have been emulating jim lee since he hit the hit the scene in the early 90s and even to this day dc refuses to really get outside of that house style uh the thing that i love about tim sale is that you know when you see it you know there's oh, yeah. no one like tim sale you, you you will not run into another artist that even really comes close to the same i you know the way that he draws and i think that's special uh, some of his uh, the the anatomy of the characters is so like hyper like the I'm looking I'm just like again kind of flipping through the book here and the way that Joker is drawn is like yes. he almost has this like Dorito face it's like really yeah tight. it's a inverted triangle yeah right and it's just it's all very like over um, exemplified as far as like the way these characters look and I think that there's a lot of freedom in that as a creator and as an artist that you can play around with anatomy and we as as an audience can just go okay yeah that's cool and i think that that is like that is a true testament to how amazing he is and and the the fact that when you take chances like that as an artist especially and you can get your audience behind it i think again that just it it rings true how amazing he truly is as a storyteller because the reason why i love comics so much and i've talked about this before on the oblivion bar is that sequential art is a it's a team effort you know tim sale Oh, excuse me, Jeff Loeb could create the greatest Batman comic of all time, and it would be considered uh, mediocre at best without a great artist, you know, in, yeah. in a very, in a very yeah. similar way as far as art goes. You know, a story can be god-awful, and the art could be amazing, and it'll be considered, you know, whatever. There's been plenty of moments like that. Like, the thing that comes to mind for me is the Doomsday Clock recently with Gary Frank and Jeff Johns. Gary yeah. Frank's art is top-notch, one of the, you know, he is incredible at what he does in the comic industry, but the story doesn't get any, doesn't get any like free pass because the art's amazing. The story still has to be good. And I think the reason why Jeff Loeb and Tim sale, especially back in these days were so uh, iconic. And the reason why they kept teaming up is because the partnership here and the way that they tell their stories together is just, it it was second to none. So uh, I, again, going through this, the, the atmosphere that he builds with, Mm-hmm. And the way that he draws Gotham, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's iconic. You know, if Tim Sale would have just created the Long Halloween and, and then ended his career, he would be one of the greats. Uh, <laughs> but he kept creating other amazing stories again, like, you know, all four seasons, the color series, all that good stuff. Yeah, I do agree with you. There's certain artists, like I've got, I, I would say that um, Tim Sale is in. Uh, if I was suddenly off the top of my head, come up with top five or 10. And I think it is because of the certain ones, like you say, stand out to you and are recognisable. I think, you know, Chris Bachelot, uh, Gary Frank, you know, they, they kind of have their own style that I, I really enjoy. I think, it's, you know, if, I, if I'm picking up something and I see Gary Frank is involved or Tim Sale, Chris Bachelot probably is my favourite artist. I would yeah. say in the, in the comic world um, if I'm reading something and I'm not too sure whether I'm going to enjoy the story or not if you see there's a certain artist so again it's the same with a, a writer 
But Chris Batchelor is someone for me. I will definitely pick up something if he's illustrated it, if I'm interested. And I'm like, I, I really, you know, I love Chris Batchelor. So um, and Michael Red as well, you know, they've all got their own really unique style that you can take a chance on the story. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jasmine? What do you think about the art? I loved it. I It's the category that I dub ugly art um, because I think that a lot of these characters are really kind of ugly, uh, but... <laughs> It, it, they're fantastic. I mean, they're kind of supposed to be ugly, right? Like Scarecrow is atrocious looking. So, poor Solomon Grundy is horrible looking. Uh, <laughs> like the only normal characters are Catwoman and Batman. Everybody else looks uh, like exactly what the crime family is called. And they all look like freaks. Um, yeah. But the like to what Chris said, the way that the Joker is drawn, when Joker first appeared in this book, I had to stop because I was like, this guy looks so out of place among all of these characters in this book so far. Uh, And I'm sure that was intentional, but like, it just, it struck me so vividly that he was so different. His facial structure was different. The way that he walked was different. Um, So just kind of seeing all of those unique things. And we talked about this before we started recording, but my absolute favorite piece from this entire book is Batman's Cape. Uh, the way that this cape is drawn, it is it takes up so much page space, which is something that you don't really see too much of. Um, and it reminds me of Spawn's cape, where it just it almost feels like this cape has a mind of its own. It has these, you know, really sharp edges, and and it crooks and turns and folds in on itself. It's the cape itself has so much life. That it, it then became my favorite thing to look for as I kept reading the book was what's the cape going to be doing on this page? What's the cape going to be doing in this scene? <laughs> so like in the sequence when Batman and Joker are fighting on that plane and the cape starts getting caught in the propellers. And I was like, no, not the cape. The cape <laughs> is the best part. It's like the, uh, the woman from uh, and the mode. No Capes. No Capes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, 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 do you know what? The moment you start talking about the villains, I was going to say the Joker. Like, I love the yeah. features in mm-hmm. Joker's face. And just to be honest with you, like the most perfect set of teeth going, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> the detail in those teeth when he's yeah. sort of like stroking like the Christmas baubles. Um, it, honestly, Tim Sale, that's a really good Joker, really menacingly uh, and creepy. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's even got the, the, the Christmas hat on, like, yeah. Yeah, Tim Sale has done a good job there with the Joker. Like, I would be scared if that if that Joker was in my front room, yeah. like looking at Tim Sale drew him. Yeah, I'll be out. So, um, <laughs> to be honest with you, I'll be out for some Joker full stop. Inks wise, though, like I mean, uh, I mean, we don't need to get too much into things. I think they're you know they're they're wonderful as they are. You know, vibrant in the right places, dark in the right places. But I love how every single murder is black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's great. That really sets the tone for this book like the fact that you instantly know holiday is here so holiday is now killing people this page is dedicated to holiday just you know i love the fact that they just changed that up just for the murder scene so um yeah so i think it's a, a good segue now into what i think chris is desperate to talk about <laughs> is uh who who done it who done it who do you who think done, done it? it so who done who <laughs> So, yeah, who is the real killer? So I was a bit like, when I was reading it, I was like, okay, it's that guy, right? No, it's that guy. No, okay, it's Gilder. I was like, uh, so... It kind so of, it kind of, who we think it, who, who we thought it was before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So who who do you think it is, Chris? So I thought it was Calendar Man. I thought it was Calendar Man initially. 
especially in the beginning when I first read the story, I was like, the inclusion of this character and how he knows everything. Yeah. I think he's tied to it somehow, but I mm. do like, I will say after the fact, knowing who it is, who actually is the killer, I'm kind of happy that it wasn't because I think that might've been too obvious. It might've been too on the nose. So I think Tim, you know, that Tim Sale and, and Jeff Lowe definitely uh, purposely put him in there to make us think that it was him, but of course yeah. he wasn't. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. Vernon. That oh, really? Was- yeah, uh, I thought it was Vernon because he had too much access. Uh, he was Harvey Dent's assistant, but he was working with uh, Maroney. I was like, this fool is dirty. He is mm-hmm. is Vernon. It's it's always the people you never suspect. No, poor Vernon. Wasn't him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest, I struggled with it. I, I was a bit... I didn't think it was Calendar Man, but I thought that he had some higher level involvement than maybe he was getting you were getting from him but i wasn't i'll be honest with you i kept i kept kind of falling for this is it harvey dent or not thing that's kind of where i was at as i was reading it and i was a bit like but who and as i was reading it, i was like who else would it be and i was kind of trying to put my mind in the whole uh horror movie type vibe like you know you know the whole normally with horror movies it's always the least you, you know you'd expect like you know it's the kind of background character who comes in and out enough that you know who they are so I yeah. was like I just I thought no one's really jumping out at me so I I did start to feel like it was Harvey so I didn't that that's kind of really where I felt it was I did think Calendar Man might have known more but I didn't think it was him so I I thought it was Harvey like in honesty that's where I was going well so. technically that's not entirely wrong so you're right. the most right out of all of us. <laughs> the least wrong. Yeah, the least well, wrong. Yeah, the least wrong. Yeah. So, but when so so the first reveal is that it's Alberto. Um, yeah. What did you guys think when when you read that? I was I, like so I said pissed. Earlier, I was underwhelmed with that. I was like, oh, that's okay. But again, to go back to what we said earlier, it wasn't really about who the killer was. You know, yeah. it's about yeah. it's about the aftermath afterwards. I think that was important for the story. I was pissed yeah. because after they said it, I was like, that makes sense. That makes sense with the way that uh, Carmine <laughs> treated him. Like, it makes perfect sense. Why didn't you catch that? And it was really when um, at some point somebody uh, explained like, oh, no, I was reading the the uh, entries at the back. And uh, Jeff was like, oh, uh, what did he say? Oh, I can't remember. I don't have it in front of me. He said something like, yeah, nobody. Uh, believe that Alberto was dead because there wasn't a body. Uh, yeah. So he was like, so when we, you know, when everything was first in publication, people were like, no, it's Alberto because he's not dead. There's no body. He was in the water, but there's no body. Um, and also he was like, and then the other clue that we threw in there that it might be Alberto was the killing of the coroner and mm-hmm. the killing of Carla, who is uh, Falcone's sister. And he was like, well, we had to kill the coroner because the coroner knew that there was no body. Uh, right. And then we had to kill Carla because Carla was reading the coroner's files and she realized that there was nobody. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm so mad that I didn't catch that. <laughs> I know, like when, when it got revealed that it was Alberto, I was like, I don't really care like about this guy. So then I instantly started to think, okay, maybe I need to go back. I've obviously read, missed stuff as I was going on. So that's why I started to think like, okay, I've obviously, I thought it's a clever twist. I thought if you killed someone off early and then bring them back as the killer, I thought that was pretty cool. A bit, it was a bit like um, Scream Three, where they killed off the producer guy and and then the other director. I've forgotten his name, but Sydney's half brother, where you see he's all covered in blood, and then like twenty minutes later, he suddenly is back and he's alive again. Yeah, I was so like, who shot Alberto? 
so I was a bit like, okay, so Alberto is the killer. And um, I'm like, okay, so I was like, I'm not overly interested in this guy. But anyway, so then you get the second reveal uh, that it's potentially Harvey. Uh, um, so I, I was more into that. Um, what do you guys think about the sort of second reveal? So what, didn't they allude that it could have potentially been Gilda more so than Harvey? Uh, only at the uh, very, no. very end. Uh, okay. Yeah, the end. So they said okay. Harvey. And well, but Harvey him. Harvey himself said that he was Holiday because he killed Falcone. Yeah. So, so he, Oh, um, right. Yeah. yeah. He, well, I mean, plus, you know, Batman saw ho- him shoot Falcone. So, well, he said, he's, well, so Harvey said there's two Holiday killers. They were yes. like, what? And then they said, um, because he did the last sort of killings, he said, I'm also Holiday. So mm-hmm. he wasn't really dismissing Alberto. He was kind yeah. of all But I think he was, he was also holiday. covering for Gilda at that point. Yeah, yeah. He must have known. And yeah. the thing is, I think that a lot of us debating here on who actually was the killer here is, again, to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier, kind of like the whole point of the story. It's, right. it's not really about who it is. It's about what it's creating. And yeah. at a certain point, I think there's a there's a What's that quote by Vision in Civil War where he says, uh, our our sheer strength entices people? And I think that in the storyline, Batman and his kind of control over the city and how him and Jim Gordon and Harvey Dent almost kind of get control of the underworld mm-hmm. entices these more worse villains to kind of take over. And now everyone wants to take credit for this holiday killings. And they're like, everyone almost wants to take part in it now because they realize the type of maybe not necessarily the attention they're getting from it, but like people are starting to pay attention now kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, like, again, there to kind of go back on what we were talking about earlier with the dark Knight returns uh, in Gotham, every villain, all the major villains, your poison ivies, your jokers, your scarecrows, everybody kind of goes away when Batman retires, when Bruce Wayne kind of stops becoming Batman. And the moment that he t- puts the suit back on, everyone starts showing back up. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think that is so important to kind of discuss about the impact of Batman in Gotham and how he wants to do good, but is he really doing good? Is he actually, is he yeah. creating more problems than he's solving? Yeah. I and, think they allude to that more in the film than they do in the book itself. Uh-huh. Um, the, in the book, it's very subtle that the, that Batman is the common thread here. Um, but in the film, they really, I think one character, I can't remember who now, but one character flat out says, this is your fault. This mm-hmm. we didn't have this problem until you showed up. Right. Well, that, that's that whole argument though is used in in real life too. Like you know, like okay, so the cops get bulletproof vests, so we have to get armor piercing bullets. You know, you know, it's like they get guns, we get guns. You know, and they kind of, I guess it's like Gotham got a superhero, so Gotham gets super villains. So mm-hmm. well, every time you step it up, the villains have got to step it up to try and match. Well, to try and stay relevant. Doing. Yeah, well, stay relevant, but also like how you know if if Batman was real, like can you imagine if 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 superheroes are real, that they the villain, the bad guys would have to step it up. So um, Gotham is such a problem because, and again, to go back, sorry, I keep referring to the Dark Knight Returns, but when That's Batman right, no, is, got, yeah, when right. Batman is gone, the the big villains go away, but small crime starts to slowly rise again. The mutants kind of take over the city. And that's the reason why Batman decides to get back into it because he knows that he can take care of that. But what he doesn't anticipate is that the, the bigger villains, they mm-hmm. all start to show up again. So that's kind of the, those are the two avenues when it comes to Gotham. Do you allow small crime to take over the city? Do you allow these crime families to basically run it from, from behind the scenes? 
but also lose the big guys? Or do you bring Batman in, have him take care of all the small crime in about two weeks, but then all of a sudden the Joker, uh, you know, the Riddler, Two-Face all start showing up? You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of the the give and take with Gotham. I think there's a really cool dichotomy between those two worlds and which which Gotham would you rather live in kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love let's how say, in the say. book, though, that the Joker flat out says, like, look, there is only room for one homicidal maniac in this town and it ain't holiday. <laughs> OK, <laughs> yeah. I just um, love that another villain, another like nobody uh, yeah. essentially brought Joker out of, quote unquote, retirement himself to be like, mm-hmm. uh uh-uh. uh. Nope, can't I cannot have you taking away my Batman's attention. That's right. Yeah. So let's uh, I was gonna say let's circle back to obviously uh Gilda. I love those last couple of pages. So I was like, okay, so Alberto, Harvey Dent, their holiday, you kind of think you're all done. And it's almost like the mid-credits of a film, like all the end credits, like you know, sort of a murder mystery kind of made me think of one of those where you you think it's all wrapped up and suddenly the tiles go up. And then suddenly, like some mid-title credits come in. That's kind of a bit like the Nazi Gilda sort of burning all this evidence. And I was like, okay, what the hell? Like, and I was like, and that's kind of what I was saying about this background character. But I no point did I suspect Gilda. Like, just just didn't red flag to me at all. And um, and she's clearly talking to somebody, but you just don't know who it is. So I know we're gonna talk about the movies in a minute, but she's clearly talking to someone and it kind of just ends with with her pretty much confessing that she did it. So I think there's, I sort of saw there's a lot of speculation on the internet about whether she was crazy or not crazy. Um, what, what are your guys' thoughts on that sort of reveal about Gilda first? Go on, Chris, you go. Um, yeah, honestly, again, the by the time that we got to the end here with Gilda being, the, being potentially oust as one of the people who was doing things behind the scenes, I think she was just a woman in love who wanted to help the person that, kind of had been done wrong by the by the mm-hmm. city you know i like the well, what they say in the films like i believe in harvey dent you mm-hmm. know like he yeah. was supposed to be was gotham's, say, yeah. supposed to be gotham's white knight and when the city failed him they failed her as well so she felt like she needed to in the same way that harvey dent kind of turns against the city i think gilda does a very similar thing like when she loses two-face or so we think that she loses two-face in that way she believes that she has nothing else to do um i will say a, a quick little fun kind of trivia is that Gilda actually makes an appearance in Daredevil Yellow, which is obviously in the Marvel universe, but yeah, both, uh, you know, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale have come out and said that there's a character in Daredevil Yellow named, um, oh, where's she at here? I had it written down. Uh, get Grace, excuse me. So Grace is, she's hiding out in Hell's Kitchen. And um, it's actually implied that like they don't say it in the story, but they heavily imply that she is actually on the run from another bigger city. They kind of like <laughs> hint to the fact that she had left Gotham and went to New York. And um, oh, wow. at, at one point she is actually, um, she's approached by uh, Leland Owsley, who is the owl in the, in the Marvel universe. And she kind of almost like kind of teams out, teams up with him. So to kind of take down Daredevil. Yeah. So that, it's a little fun, little, little side trivia, I guess, for, for Gilda there. I didn't know that. I, I know that sometimes Marvel and DC and even Indies kind of do little little tributes to each other, but I didn't know that that, that was a thing. So mm-hmm. um, I guess it was a bit like um, there was that Fallen Angel series years ago. I've forgotten who did it now from DC. It was originally DC. It was, it was a published indie thing, and then it went to IDW. Uh, Peter David 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was kind of he tried to allude to it potentially the main character being Supergirl, but he could never outright oh, yeah. say it. Uh, I can never ever say it because obviously it was an indie book. So, um, yeah, so I think it was a nice little moment here to jump into the movies. So we've, we've constantly talked about Christopher Nolan's trilogy and I obviously have never read this until now. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading it, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, this is like the Dark Knight or parts <laughs> of it, parts of it. And mm-hmm. I didn't realise how massively inspired Christopher Nolan uh, was. And what actually, that makes me love those films even more is like, that actually Christopher Nolan obviously is a, an amazing creator. Uh, the fact that he did all this research before he put together his trilogy and um, just seeing Harvey Dent's story in The Dark Knight, it's literally almost identical in this book. And, and like you just said, you just used the line a minute ago, I believe in Harvey Dent, which is mm-hmm. in this book, which actually is in the movie uh, The Dark Knight. And um, I, I love that movie, The Dark Knight. Well, I love that whole trilogy. That you know, Christopher Bale, uh, Christian Bale, sorry, is is one of the best Batman's going. Um, mm-hmm. Can't deny, can't deny that. And that trilogy is amazing. I I rewatched that trilogy so many times. I can't. I've lost count of how many times I've, I've watched that trilogy. Um, I, in some ways, kept hoping when DC was making their own superhero universe i was like please get chris uh, christian bale back chris christian bale back. They, 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 they just didn't do it um but i i actually love how inspired uh christopher nolan was from this book and i just you can see so much of this book in those movies especially mm-hmm. the dark knight um yeah just i think we've said quite a lot about the dark knight as we've been going is there anything you guys want to add like, I like uh, now that include- i think about oh, sorry go ahead Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was just gonna say I like the inclusion of uh, Falcone and Maroni in these fil- in the Dark Knight trilogy, and I think again that's yeah. very heavily inspired by the the series because, and it, I think it even it's even said here in the back matter that Chris Nolan really liked how the inclusion of those two crime families really gives Gotham a personality. It shows who was running the city before, mm-hmm. and I think we even see at one point we see Thomas Wayne like being forced to cure uh, Falcone after a yeah, like a, book, yeah. A yeah, wound. Falcone Senior. Yeah, so. Um, and I, I like how we keep getting flashbacks to the past before in, in this book as well, yeah. showing what Gotham was before Batman. And it just goes to show you that, again, without Batman, things could be, again, I mean, what would you prefer? Would you rather be outright, you know, them fighting in the streets or you want them fighting behind the scenes? And I, I don't know. I just, I loved a lot of that. And the, the Dark Knight trilogy, I think the reason why it works so well is not because it's a superhero movie. It's because it is a crime drama. Yes, and again, without the long Halloween, the, those films would not be as iconic as they are. Hmm. Um, yeah. So we move on from there now. They're, so earlier this year, they released um, two movies of the the long Halloween part one and part two. I know you guys actually covered that on the Oblivion Bar, didn't you? So you you talked about that. Um, when I was watching it, I do want to say like it was quite sad to see this is what's well here. Uh, Naya Rivera's final performance uh and uh i i didn't watch it all but i watched the first couple of seasons of glee um i put my hands up <laughs> so uh <laughs> but it was you know when i when i heard about her death um at the time of this it was incredibly sad especially with the circumstances and then watching this movie obviously i watched the movie 
I, so I read this book this week and then I watched the movies following just so I could be like on the same page. And, you know, I think it was good for me to be able to watch uh, those movies. But yeah, that was something that kind of stood out for me. I was like, this is so sad. It's like a final performance as well. So mm-hmm. I liked at the end of the movie, they did say like in memory of her. So, mm-hmm. yeah. um, <clears throat> well, so they, they, they did make some notes from changes throughout the movie. So uh, at the end of part one, Alberto's death is pretty much uh, uh yeah death firm. by propeller good grief yeah. there's no coming back from that so me and jasmine constantly joke that in any kind of fictional not just superheroes yeah. but just any fiction unless they're decapitated yep. you're pretty much can come back yep when this he guy, hit the propeller this... i was like well i guess albert's not holiday in the movie <laughs> yeah yeah but we're, we're like we're not we're not going to have anything where it could be albert yeah he, he is gone <laughs> so i, I like the choice though like i like the choice by the creators of the movie to actually kill him off so i think if you, they probably did that for comic book fans to be able to go into there and be like okay so that's a brave move um i liked that change um it is an interesting also- change but the it, it kind of feels off or not because then as people who are fans of the book we're like oh well then it's gilda right you know like we yeah. automatically assume that it's gilda yeah yeah so that, that yeah that's the only thing that kind of lets them down a little bit um <clears throat> it's a bit like you know i don't know if you guys watch walking dead when negan kills um damn it i've forgotten his name when he's got the he's got glenn in front of him and he's got the um other big army dude Abe, and he killed yeah, yeah abraham yeah, uh, abraham yeah so and he kills abraham first so i was like oh my god so glenn is gonna live and then he kills glenn afterwards so i was like that was good. That was a good twist. So I was like, I did not see that comment. So, but yeah. I think, I think, like, I agree with you. Like, the fact they killed Alberto straight away is like, okay, yeah, so it is going to be Gilda. And yeah, so, um, and then that is something that this movie does as well. Like you just said, it 100% confirms Gilda is, is the killer. Like, because, and do you know how in this book I said how she's kind of talking to somebody, but you don't see who it is? So in the film, they show um, that she's talking to Batman and Batman's like, all he says is, are you done then? And she's like, yeah, I'm finished. And he does that. He does that slide that she is the killer. So mm-hmm. that was an interesting choice to me that he let that go. So um, and also this movie as well gives them much more of a backstory to Catwoman, which mm-hmm. which I read was that you see in, later on in Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's follow up um, follow up books. So they obviously decided to bring some of that forward into these movies. So what do you, what do you, Chris, what do you think about those changes in the movies? So I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of torn a little bit for the part one and part two of the film, because I think that there's definitely an appreciation for the source material here by the creators, (laughs) but I don't know what your guys thoughts are. I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but DC animation has slowly started to decline for me recently. I feel like they've the quality, the the DC animation world that we've always kind of considered to be this like top notch, better than better than Marvel, as they as the DC fanboys like to say, yeah. it has slowly started to deteriorate in my opinion. I think that was it just me, or did it feel like you were watching an episode of Archer? Right, exactly. <laughs> like the animation, I feel, has just slowly and slowly gotten worse, and I think that the crux of those films back in the day, like you know, the Red Hood or um, mask of the phantasm mask of the, yeah i mean a lot of those older dc animated movies the a lot of the weight to them and the reason why they're so beloved is because of the animation style mm-hmm. and the thing is they still have this team on retainer because they're still making young justice like the the animation teams that made a lot of those great movies are still around at dc they're just not putting them out there for 
newer films. So like yeah. this, I, I didn't love it. I'll just, I guess I'll say that long Halloween. I like the story, but if you're just, if you're going to recreate an iconic storyline, but do a, a, you know, unless you're going to bring something different or create, uh, put, put a lot of effort into the animation, then why, why make it? it like, I feel the same way yeah. about, I feel the same way about like Disney recreating the, the animated movies back in the day, like Lion King and Aladdin. If you're just going to half-heartedly give us a shot for shot remake, why do it? You know, yeah, I'll yeah. Agree that. like if you want to read, if you want to understand and, and hear the story of the long Halloween, go pick up Jeff Loeb and Tim sales book. That is the best way to, to, you know, experience the story. And unfortunately, and you know, there is a world where people see that the long Halloween is out on and they, maybe they enjoy the the two movies and they go, Oh, you know what? I like to read the book. And then for that, sure. Then this, then this movie has done its job. But I think if people were to just watch the movie and not read the book and they go, Oh, I didn't really like the long Halloween. Then I think that's where this yeah. kind of method by DC is kind of starting to falter a little bit. So again, there is some respect for the, like, again, you said the inclusion of when in Rome in the actual story is cool. Some of the changes they made to the actual holiday killer is a cool, like twist. Cause we're, we kind of like made a second guess what we thought we knew, but, and then a lot of the voice acting is not bad. You know, I like Jensen, Jensen Ackles as Batman. I think that was a really mm -hmm. cool inclusion. Troy he's Baker's like, yeah. all, always great. Yeah. As he's fantastic. Uh, you know, David does And like you said, as calendar man, all, all the act, the voice acting was great. Yeah. Um, it's just that it, the animation, I think, really let it down, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought that they 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 were on the right track because the backgrounds and the cityscapes and they had the Art Deco feel that Batman the Animated Series had, except for the people. Um, mm. I like immediately the first time Harvey Dent was on screen, I was like, "You look exactly like the main character from Archer." Like, yeah. this is this is so bizarre. Um, now I don't know if this happened in the follow up stories or not. My beef with this film, my biggest beef with this film was why they had to give Gilda such a tragic backstory. Mm -hmm. Like, why, why, did, why was that necessary? I thought it was very interesting that they decided to make it so that her and Alberto were the ones that kind of had a fling when they were in college. And they, well, not a fling, like they were in love. And then the, you know, the Falcone family was like, no, she's not good enough. She can't be part of the, part of the family. Um, that was a really interesting twist. But like, did, did, did we really have to know that they annulled the marriage and then they took the baby from her body like that was just excessive it's and I was, up, like, yeah. I was like that was just completely completely unnecessary and they went out of their way to make Gilda even more pitiful in the films than she was in the book like mm -hmm. she's already a sympathetic character like you already feel sorry for this woman and then you just make her the most pitiful person in all of Gotham City and it's just like what was the point of that I didn't I didn't understand the point of that and this happened in the book as well but like Making Sophia serve 10 years in prison for Maroney. I was like, that's bullshit, first of all. <laughs> like, <laughs> why, why, why should she have to serve time for some random dude? Anyway, that's just that's just me. But like, I just really hated what they did to Gilda in the film. Um, I thought that was completely unnecessary. If they wanted to give her a backstory and if they wanted to connect her to Albert, they could have done that. Mm -hmm. But it didn't have to be so horrible. Like, my my biggest beef with people who write women as villains is when everything is driven because the woman has lost a child. Like, I hate that when women have a purpose that is, you know, we do other things than give birth. So right. there, yeah. there should be different motives for that. Um, so that's that, like two of my least favorite movie tropes or like storytelling tropes is yes. 
um, women who lose children mm-hmm. and killing a dog in a story. Those two things are like the <laughs> laziest way yeah. to try to get the audience behind something. Right. The is that the only way that you can pull sympathy is like, oh, how do we make people sympathetic to this cause? Ah, dead babies. Got it. Mm-hmm. Done. Let's let's yep. move on. Yeah. Um, like, I was going to say, Chris, the dead dog thing. That's like the whole John Wick trilogy. Just <laughs> right. like, yeah. I mean, you know, I love the John Wick trilogy, but the dog thing is like the worst motivational thing for him to decide <laughs> to get back in the business. I mean, if someone killed my dog, I would definitely hunt down them and their entire family. I'm not going to lie. But as a storyteller, <laughs> the whole point of telling stories is to have a creative reason reason for people to to hear that story, right? Mm. So, yeah. yeah, those those two are just really lazy tropes that have been overused and done too many times. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, before we move on from the movie, actually, you, you know, you shout out the voice cast, Billy Burke um, as James Gordon. I love Billy Burke. I think he's great. Like he, Oh, yeah. And Jack Quaid was completely miscast as Alberto. <laughs> he was way too young to be Alberto. That was so weird. Yeah. Oh, you know, you guys mentioned, sorry, David, um, I'm going to struggle to say his surname. Deutsch? That's Martin. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm just English and can't say that stuff. But um, anyway, um, he has got to be like the biggest crossover guy going. Like, you know, he's just living he's in, in both universes. He's yeah, like, he's just, well, but he's, he's been so everywhere. many different DC characters. He was in The Dark Knight. He yeah. was in Suicide Squad. Yeah. Like he's been all over the place. I love David S. Malton. I'd love it if he was the same character in everything. Like, he, <laughs> like maybe, maybe if that's like DC's biggest. Um, we just need a polka dot man and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, we should um, kind of start to wrap up. So, there's obviously um, some follow ups that we're aware of that we talked about, like when in Rome and stuff like that. There is a Batman the Long Halloween special, which is coming out next week, which is 53 pages, uh, and it's going to follow this up. Um, do you guys think that there's anything more that they can add um, to, you know, so Chris, I think you're obviously the biggest expert on this material. What, what do you think they could possibly add to this? I honestly, I have no idea what they could even do with this going forward. Like I, I was thinking about it earlier and I thought maybe there's something to do with Gilda. Maybe it's like years later and there's a new holiday killer. She's inspired mm-hmm. someone or her mm-hmm. and Robota, Robota both have inspired someone. Maybe Two-Face gets out of prison and he starts kind of like kind of resurging this whole deal. I, it just depends on when the story is being told uh, and and I guess what they want to do with it next. I, I personally, I, I think that when you have something iconic like this, let's leave it alone. Yeah, I agree. Leave it be and kind of enjoy it for what it is. Let's not milk it for everything it's worth. But, you know, we'll see, I guess. Ten, you know, these guys make a good team. They've done it plenty of times. Maybe there's something there to maybe there's something that we don't know that there's something they can mine and, and make it even more interesting. Well, the tease yeah. is nothing stays buried forever that is the tease for this special so i guess they're they're digging up something um in in this next one i don't know i'm i'm like you though i think leaving something as heavy as that kind of story open-ended is best because then we as the reader we can all draw our own conclusions like how things played out what happened to gilda afterwards and and that that sort of thing so she was um, in New York, remember? Yeah. <laughs> that's right, that's right. My bad. How could I forget? <laughs> I don't think they see a lot of Yeah, just like go, go read Dead and We're Yellows. So we've done that. So. Um, I, I, I've got to say, I'm sometimes like, you know what? There's really no need to, to carry on sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like um, I always remember, I, I, and this is a, a lot of people, this like Breaking Bad 
six seasons they offered they offered them loads more money to make a seventh season and they just said no like and i like that i like the integrity of creators when they're like do you know what this is my thing i've got my story start to finish you know okay in the middle it might deviate a little bit but i know my end game and i'm going towards my end game and i don't i mean i know i reference breaking bad they have gone done prequels and a follow-up movie but they have generally stuck to their whole you know i've got my sort of thing um and if this long Halloween special does something actually extra, um, which still keeps this story as it is and doesn't ruin it. What I mean by that is don't go and undo something in this book. Mm-hmm. Like don't, yeah. and that's something that I always hate is when they go and undo something, um, don't undo it, just maybe add to it. Like, so that's, yeah. I think that's what I would be happy with. So two, um, two television series that ended in four seasons when they still had plenty of material left Spartacus and Black Sails. Both yeah. of those series are completely phenomenal and they left while they were pretty much at their height versus dragging anything out just for shits and giggles. And I think too many people don't do that. Like it ended, it was a good ending. Let's it's let it stay ended. There, there's yeah. not always a reason to come back and, but what if, no, no, let, let the readers play the, but what if game don't, don't give us yeah. the answer to our what ifs. I think the same thing comics. with Watchmen too. Watchmen yeah. on HBO, they did one season, and I the, I forget the gentleman who created it, but he was like, "No, I'm done with it. I don't. I think we we told our story and we t- we told it well, so let's end it here while it's while it's high." Yeah. I was gonna say, how many Emmys indie- did it win? <laughs> right. Yeah. I was gonna say the the thing about indie comics, why I think a lot of people refer those is say they generally do have a middle uh, beginning, the middle, and end, unlike a lot of superhero stuff. I know this is a superhero uh, thing, but it's a kind of done slightly outside of continuity and can be left on its own and and left to shine on its own without having to get too bogged down by the next creative team having to build on those foundations this is a nice standalone novel like you just said chris you can recommend this to somebody as a batman book that they don't need to read of any real knowledge other than bruce wayne is batman and Mm -hmm. most people let's be honest most people even if they're not comic book fans have a general idea if you Batman and Catwoman are so um yeah. but yeah no it's been fun chatting to you Chris about the long Halloween and we're we'll wrap things up and just sort of you know where can people find you online and also what have you guys come, got coming up at the Oblivion Bar yeah so firstly I want to say thank you both for having me on here to talk about the long Halloween I, I really enjoyed it it's fun to revisit this and like I said before this is a book that I always kind of go back to anyway but when you guys reached out last month and was like, Hey, let's talk about this going into Halloween. I was like, heck yeah, this gives me the perfect <laughs> excuse to, to get on here with you guys and also read one of the greatest Batman stories of all time. So I, I thank you for that. No, no um, worries. I saw, I, I went, I went and uh, approached, I always try and approach a guest, which I think will bring more knowledge than we have. And I knew that you had a passion for this already. Um, mm-hmm. I know that you guys have covered it already. Like well, you've covered the movies on your show. And, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to try and get Chris on here because he clearly is uh, a much more of a knowledge expert on this than we are. So, uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love this stuff. What can I say? I love comics yeah. and it's always fun to talk about it. I, I never pretend to know everything, but I think that a lot of times if I can bring a little tidbit to the conversation, that's all I can do as far as when it comes mm-hmm. to talking about these characters that we all love. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the oblivion bar, we put out new episodes every week on Monday. Uh, we recently have done, we did it like a, a bunch of interviews. We interviewed Ailey Martinez and uh, let's see, we, Jennifer Hale, the voice of uh, <gasps> Fem Shep as uh, Jasmine. I'm sure she, I don't know if she's listened to that episode quite yet, but it, it was a great conversation with Jennifer Hale. 
Um, we also, re- we interviewed Riley Passfield, who's like a TikTok sensation. She just recently hit a million subscribers. Oh yeah, I saw that, yeah. Like I said earlier, we did our Battle Royale episode for, for episode 56. 57, which we're releasing later this week as well, is our analysis of DC Fandom 2021 and our review of Marvel's What If, the entire series. So excited to bring that to everyone. And then next week, we're reviewing Dune. So a lot of cool episodes coming up over at the Oblivion Bar. We're available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We're trying to get on Pandora. I don't know why they're dragging us along, but you know how that goes sometimes in the <laughs> podcasting world. Um, we're on all social medias at Oblivion Bar Pod on everything except for Instagram. Uh, and that is the Oblivion Bar. Uh, for some reason, our at Oblivion Bar, they shut us down. I, apparently, we we're being too risque with our Batman facts. So they said, uh-uh, not up in here. And they shut us Shame down. Shame so. on you. I know, right? I think I, said, I think I said Ben Affleck was the best Batman and they shut us down. So uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I would never say that. Uh, it's, it was definitely <laughs> George Clooney is the best Batman. <laughs> no. So yeah. I'm Adam sorry. Was- we seem to have lost Chris's feet here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at Oblivion Bar Pod on everything. Twitter and Instagram are like our two main ones. So at Oblivion Bar Pod on Twitter, at the Oblivion Bar on Instagram. And um, yeah, thanks again so much. Hopefully we see you over at the Oblivion Bar at some point. Yeah, it'd be awesome to come over and join you guys. So uh, mm-hmm. Jasmine, what are we doing next month? Next month, our next book club, we are sticking to the uh, DC sort of family. We're going to be taking a look at the first two volumes of Fables. Mm, nice in the vertigo well defunct vertigo line yeah um well you can follow us everywhere on social media geeks unleashed is on instagram facebook and twitter and you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcast google podbean apple spotify we are everywhere so please give us a five-star review and tell your geeky friends and give the oblivion bar five-star review as well yeah yeah please (laughs) (laughs) uh anyway thanks for listening we'll see you next month for fables Good journey. Yeah, good journey.